will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Celebrating the life, celebrating the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. should be a 365-day job in which we love everybody, in which we give respect to everybody, in which we treat people with equality, regardless of race, regardless of skin color, regardless of gender, regardless of political background, regardless of where you come from, regardless of financial background. We love, we give respect, we give unity to each and everyone. If we do that, the world will become a better place because we as people will become a better place. We give thanks for the life and the legacy provided by one of the greatest, the legend and American icon and hero, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Facing the rising sun of a new day let us march on. Of all ages, faces, and places from every stadium, arena, and auditorium all over the world. May I have your attention, please? Well, time's coming when we're going to have to ante up. Ante up and kick in like men. Like men! It is now time to bring to your listening ears, hearts, and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Tell him how you feel. A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, uncompromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL. Mahomes looking to flip, takes it in for the touchdown. And college football to the NBA in my Georgetown Hoyas. Giannis fires one down and an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now, introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lim Baez, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Before I begin... As always, a belated happy birthday to one of the greatest human beings who ever walked the face of the earth, 
the great Martin Luther King, Martin Luther King Jr. I hope on Monday that you did something. You didn't have to go to a parade. You didn't have to go to a march, but hopefully you did something, not just on Monday, but moving forward to go ahead and try to make this world a better place to be. How can you do that? By leaving your comfort zone every so often and doing something to improve your neighborhood, to improve your community, to improve yourself. How do you do that? You meet somebody, you talk to somebody, you learn from somebody, you respect somebody who might be of a different skin tone, who might be from a different community, who might be from a different part of the world, who might have a different political affiliation, who might love somebody differently than you, who might be from another side of this world. Let's see what we can do just a little bit to honor Dr. Martin Luther King and his legacy and what he gave his life for, to go ahead and learn, to grow, and learn from people who aren't like you, different races, faces, and places. We could do that. Man, what a wonderful world this would be. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us speaking about what is going on in the NFL. Before I do that, though, please... For those who are listening to this podcast on iTunes, iHeart, Spotify, Amazon, anywhere where you listen to your favorite podcast on your favorite podcast platforms, go to my podcast. If you like what you are listening to, download, subscribe, rate, review, most importantly, enjoy the most unique entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can listen to. If you could do that, man, I would very much appreciate it. Special dedication for those who do. All right, man, let's get into what's happening in the world of sports. Wild card weekend in the NFL schedule matchup for the next round of the playoffs this upcoming weekend. Divisional games are here. Saturday's games, we got Jacksonville, the surprising Jacksonville Jaguars. I'll be speaking about them in the last segment of the program. They're going to be at Kansas City. That game will start at 1.30 on Saturday, Eastern Standard Time. That game will be played on CBS. The later game being played at 5.15 Eastern Standard Time on Fox. The surprising, the Daniel Jones-led New York Giants playing the Philadelphia Eagles. Then on Sunday games, starting at 3 o'clock, the game of the day, Cincinnati at Buffalo. The game is going to be, again, 3 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on CBS. And then the most hype and interesting game of the weekend, the Dallas Cowboys going out to San Francisco to play the 49ers. That game will be at 6.30 Eastern Standard Time, and that game will be on Fox. Some interesting games, man. I'm just going to be down concentrating just a little bit on this past weekend when we're speaking about the uh, NFL, the wildcard games. So I'm not going to include Kansas City. I'm not going to include Philadelphia because those two top teams in the AFC and NFC, we have not seen them play yet. So when you're speaking about the power rankings after the first round of the playoffs, and you're going to be grading based on performance. I'm not talking about what happened in the regular season. I'm not talking about anything else. I'm talking about from what I saw on the first weekend of the playoffs and the teams that participated in the playoffs, these Teams that I'm placing as far as my power rankings are concerned, the number one team, the San Francisco 49ers, the number two team, the New York Giants, the number three team, the Dallas Cowboys, number four, Buffalo, number five, Cincinnati, and number six, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, of course, all that can change, and all of that is really meaningless when you're speaking about who's going to be reaching the conference finals and who's going to be winning the NBA, uh, the NFL championship. But, man, you know, it, it's a situation where you take a look at these games 
games from this past weekend. And you take a look, as I mentioned before, the San Francisco 49ers being my number one rated team as far as the team that I thought played the best football, the team that I thought was the most impressive. Yeah, you could talk about the New York Giants. Yeah, you could talk about the Dallas Cowboys. But I think those... I think those two teams had a little background going into those games, which made it even more impressive when you speak about Dallas and when you speak about um, the New York Giants. When you speak about, okay, wow, unbelievable. The Giants went on the road and defeated Minnesota 31-24. Daniel Jones playing out of his mind, this, that, and the other. Okay, but how much faith did we really have in Minnesota? And when you took a look at the game that Minnesota and the Giants had a few weeks before this game started, and you saw how close that game was, and you saw the way that Minnesota won that game, you had to say to yourself that the Giants had a real chance to be competitive, not just competitive, but also to win this game, which exactly what they did. So while the Giants might have surprised some folks, and while the Giants were impressive going on the road in the playoffs in the hostile environment to win, I still think when you're speaking about, okay, which teams are going to be favored to come out of the uh, NFC and the AFC as far as the teams that played on Saturday and Sunday this past weekend, I'm still going to go with the San Francisco 49ers over the New York Giants. Then, and we'll go into more detail about this later on in the podcast, but then the Dallas Cowboys. People came in to this game, this past game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and some people were calling for the upset, and some people were talking about, well, what happens if Dallas loses? And some people were talking about Dak Prescott and throwing more, uh, throwing touchdowns and more, uh, you know, looking very average and not throwing enough touchdowns and throwing more interceptions than he should be. And all of these statistics talking about Davis Mills with the was the only football quarterback playing for Houston that had more interceptions than Dak Prescott, and Dak Prescott had to been right for the last couple of games. And all of those, all of those opinions were warranted. All of those thoughts were warranted. But come on, man, we're going into a new season when you're speaking about the playoffs. And Dak Prescott, a guy who's a $40 million man, turned it up, turned it on, and turned it well against the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So from that performance... And because Dallas is Dallas, a lot of people are going to sit there and be like, oh my goodness gracious, Dallas, this, that, and the other. Did you see what they did to Tampa Bay? They're going to be the best team. They have the best shot in the NFC to make it to the Super Bowl, blah, blah, blah. They still have to play San Francisco on the road this Sunday. And I still think overall San Francisco, even with Brock Purdy as their quarterback, has a better team than the Cowboys. So when you're speaking about the power rankings, I'm not just talking about the performances based on how they played this past weekend. I'm also speaking about the impact and the chances that they have in terms of winning their conference championships. And based on what I saw before and I saw this past weekend, as impressive as I was with the New York Giants and the Dallas Cowboys, I think in a very ho-hum really not paying too much attention type of a game, especially when the spotlight is put on teams like Dallas and such, that of the San Francisco 49ers victors over the Seattle Seahawks, 41-23 is the team that should be number one in Wendell Wallace's Wendell's World of Sports Power Rankings. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Yeah, man. 41-23, Brock Purdy. Overall, well played well enough in the second half, especially in this playoff debut, to go ahead and say, all right, all right, so far, so good. 18 of 30, 332 yards, three touchdowns. He looked good. 
He looked fantastic. Now, Christian McCaffrey played a big role in that, running for 119 yards on 15 uh, carries, had a touchdown reception. I mean, this was a, a situation where, okay, the defense played well. The Seattle defense really did not show up the play when you saw the domination, the totality of the domination on the offensive side for the 49ers. But we're still waiting for Brock Purdy to all of a sudden look like a seventh-round pick, the last player taken in the NFL draft and playing like a rookie. We're still waiting for that. I'm not waiting for that. I'm not expecting that. I don't think Brock Purdy is going to have a fall off the cliff. Oh, this is the reason why he was a seventh-round pick and a third-string quarterback type of, uh, of performance. I, I'm not looking for him to have that type of, of, of drop. First of all, I don't think um, I don't think Mike Shanahan is going to put him in that situation. Even if they were signed, even if he shows signs that you know what we're going to have to have Brock Purdy do uh, win us the football game. I don't think. Shanahan is going to ask that of him. So because of that, if this is going to be a situation where he's only going to be throwing the ball 15 or 20 times and San Francisco is going to have to rely on the running game and the defense to win a football game similar to what they did last season against Green Bay, low scoring, ugly, physical, but yet who came out on top? the San Francisco 49ers, that's exactly what he's going to do. So again, I don't think this is going to be a situation where faced upon desperation that all of a sudden Brock Purdy is going to be asked to start throwing the football all around the field and the San Francisco 49ers are going to abandon their running game and those type of things. So because of that, because of the offensive line, because of San Francisco's running game, and because of the playmakers that San Francisco has, when you're speaking about Brandon Ayuk, when you're speaking about Debu Samuels, when you're speaking about George Kittle, and you mix that in with the play calling of Mike Shanahan, this is, a deep, this is an offense in San Francisco that is not going to have to rely on a Brock Purdy to win them a football game. And yet, and still, I still think there's going to come a time. I still think there's going to come a time where Brock Purdy is going to have to win them a game. And that's when the rubber is going to hit the road. And this could be the, this could be the best opportunity for him to be put in that situation. Because as I'm going to be mentioning before, when you take a look at the playoff experiences, from the other quarterbacks playing in the playoffs in the NFC, I mean, this is a situation where there's really not too much of a difference between someone like a Daniel Jones and a Brock Purdy when you're speaking about playoff experience. And then with Jalen Hurts, yeah, Jalen Hurts was fantastic in the regular season. How do we know that he's going to play that well in the postseason? We don't know. And, oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, he has an ailing shoulder that it could also be a problem. So when we speak about the Philadelphia Eagles and we speak about the regular season and we speak about their offense and we speak about their defense and we speak about how dominant they were as a football team from week one all the way till the end of the season, the only hiccup being near the end of the season when um, Hurts got injured, and Gardner Minshew had to be the quarterback, and when they lost to the Cowboys and then surprisingly lost to the uh, New Orleans Saints, that maybe put a little dip into the overall greatness or the over overachieving that the Philadelphia Eagles did this past season. Still, I think it's a situation where, hey, man, we don't know in terms of what Jalen Hurts is going to bring to the table. We keep speaking about Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy, what about Jalen Hurts? Again, MVP during the regular season. That's fantastic. How is he going to play in really his second start 
in the postseason again with an ailing shoulder. We will find that out. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Speaking about some other games from this past weekend in the wild card, Buffalo over Miami, 34-31. Bills overcame turnovers that allowed Miami to stay in the game and pull out the win. Let me tell you something, man. I don't, I don't know what to make of the Buffalo Bills after this game. I really don't. Because if they were playing a team that actually had a real quarterback, the Buffalo Bills would not be in the playoffs right now. And they would be speaking about what was the effect of DeMar Hamlin getting injured have on the Bills losing this game. Did it take some of their juice? Did it take some of their mojo? Did it take some of their passion away? You know, the, the, the game, in fact, was really a situation where we really couldn't find any type of you know, meter one way or the other in terms of determining the impact of DeMar Hamlin and his uh, situation in terms of now him being on the mend. Because normally we always have to throw that into the storyline, right? The Bills came out and whooped them. You knew that this would be a situation where, you know, oh, the inspiration and oh, the, you know, second gear and all this, that, and the other and the uh, the great things that uh, that Hamlin, DeMar Hamlin brought to the team and this, that, and the other. And then if they would have lost, then it would have been a situation where, oh, you know, they were so heart crest and fallen over the sight of their teammate being injured on Monday night against Cincinnati a few weeks ago and almost dying and the fact that they were still holding a heavy heart for that even though that he's on the mend and this that and the other somehow some way somebody would have played that into the narrative whether the Bills won going one way with the story of uh, DeMar Hamlin returning and surviving and trying to strive to get better or if they would have lost using that story in a negative way. This game against Miami was so kooky. This game against Miami was so puzzling. This game against Miami was so confusing in terms of, okay, you thought that the Bills were going to win even when Allen was turning the ball over, even when the Dolphins would come back and tie the score, even go up, you, you, you always had the thought that, okay, once Buffalo turns it up another notch that they're going to win this game, that it really wasn't, for me watching the game, it really wasn't all of that, you know, nerve-wracking or really wasn't that suspenseful, even near the end, because it was like, there's, there's no way that the, there's, there's no way that the Buffalo Bills are going to win, are going to lose to this team, right? So moving forward now against Cincinnati, how do you feel? Where are you going with the Buffalo Bills? What's your mindset? If you're Bills Mafia, are you glass half full? Are you glass half empty? If they play like that against the Cincinnati Bengals, if, if Allen's going to turn the ball over like that against Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and Joe Mixon and T. Higgins in that offense, they're not going to win that game. They weren't going to win the game again. They weren't going to win the game against Miami if, if Miami had a healthy Tua Tungavailoa. May even a healthy Teddy Bridgewater. So if you're in the Bills, where are we going with this? Because now this is the playoffs. This is not a situation where, oh, okay, Josh Allen had another five, six, seven games to a rebound from this. No. No, 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 no. As much shit as Dak Prescott was getting near the uh, end of the regular season, um, Josh Allen deserves also the same scrutiny, except at least for one game, the difference, be the, the difference between Prescott and Josh Allen for one game is that the bad habits and the interceptions and the turnovers 
that Prescott was committing in the regular season, near the end of the regular season, at least for one game. He didn't bring that to Tampa Bay. Allen still had his turnover luggage in, in Buffalo and brought it out at the in, most inopportune times, which almost cost Buffalo the football game. So we can talk about Buffalo's defense in terms of the secondary is concerned. We can talk about maybe that offensive line, but the Buffalo Bills are going to live and die with Josh Allen. They're going to. It, it is not just a matter of Josh Allen throwing for five touchdowns and doing this great things. It's just a matter of him not turning the ball over. I think the Bills can still win a football game. I think the Bills can still win a championship without Josh Allen being Superman, but they can't do it with him throwing interceptions and turnovers, which really kind of applies for every team in the NFL. I, I really don't think, well, that was a bullshit reason. That, that was a bullshit answer, wasn't it? If Josh Allen doesn't turn the ball over, Buffalo has a, big, has a better chance of winning. No shit. You know what? I think if Josh Allen turns the ball over, I think for Buffalo to win, Josh Allen's going to have to turn the ball over. If he can throw four or five interceptions, especially that will put teams in the red zone, I really like Buffalo chances to win. Damn, I felt I sounded like an NFL TV analyst on that one. I'm sorry. I apologize. Let's just put it this way. Let's just kind of take a look at the way Josh Allen plays in terms of what his career arc is all about, right? Because this is a situation where this is Buffalo's year. This was the year that Buffalo was supposed to be the heavy favorites to win a Super Bowl. This was the year where Josh Allen was supposed to compete for an MVP. And I thought most of the season that Josh Allen was living up to that promise the first part of the season. He's kind of slipped a little bit. And he slipped again on Saturday against the Miami Dolphins. Again, if they do that against the Cincinnati Bengals... They're going to be slipping and sliding right out of the playoff picture. And then where does that leave the Buffalo Bills as an organization? Where does that leave Josh Allen? Not in the sense that they're going to trade him or do all this other kind of bullshit, but some of the shine that was placed on Josh Allen before the season started, mainly based after that historic, unbelievable performance in game that he had against Kansas City in the playoffs, where even... Even in a losing record, he was lauded as being that guy that now is going to be that guy as far as one of the best players is concerned. Now, if they lose to Cincinnati and Allen doesn't atone for the poor performance that he gave his last playoff performance against Miami, believe me, that game against Kansas City is going to go bye-bye in the annals of where do we place Josh Allen when it comes to uh, elite quarterbacks in the NFL because you have to compete for championships, you have to win championships, you have to win divisions, you have to win conference divisions and conference championships, and then ultimately the Super Bowl. So for those who are sitting there talking about, hey, you know what, I'm going to put Josh Allen ahead of a Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes has already won an MVP. Patrick Mahomes has already won a Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes is already there. How are you going to make that argument? How are you going to make that play? How are you going to tell me, how are you going to buy what you're selling in terms of Josh Allen being the best quarterback in the NFL if he loses to the Cincinnati Bengals and doesn't play demonstrably better than he did against Miami this past weekend. So yes, for the Buffalo Bills to go somewhere and do some things, they don't have that Kyle Shanahan type offense. They don't have that running game to where they can give to a Singletary and have him run the ball 25 or 30 times a game. They don't have that San Francisco defense to where they're going to be holding teams, especially a team as potent on offense like the Cincinnati Bengals 
They're not going to be able to hold them to 17 points. They're not going to be able to hold them to 21 points. I don't care what the temperature is. I don't care what the wind chill factor is. So Josh Allen is going to be very important for Buffalo to put some points on the board. How is he going to rebound from a poor performance? that we will see. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. And the team that they're going to be playing, the Cincinnati Bengals. Hard-fought victory over Baltimore, 24-17. Hey, look, man, we've got plenty of time. Slow down a little bit, because I know y'all want to talk about Lamar Jackson. I know what y'all want to talk about, man, what's going on with him. Was he healthy enough to play? Is he bailing on the team? Will he be with the Ravens next year? Does he want to be with the Ravens next year? What's his relationship with him and Jim Harbaugh? I know, or John Harbaugh, excuse me. I mean, maybe, you know, he, he's cool with Jim, but not with John. I know all of those things we'll have plenty of time to get to. We'll put that in the, is Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady coming back basket? Plenty of time to talk about that. I want to talk about the Cincinnati Bengals because they're moving on in the playoffs. I want to talk about Joe Burrow. I want to talk about Jamar Chase. I want to talk about this team. I want to talk about the chances that they have against Buffalo this upcoming weekend. I want to talk about, man, what's going to be the situation with that offensive line moving forward? They had to shuffle. They had to move. They had to groove. They had to try to improve in terms of uh, playing against a strong Baltimore defense. Now, they're not going to face a Ravens-type defense, especially in the secondary, when they're going to be playing the Bills this upcoming weekend. But they won't be playing at home. I don't know what the um, elements are going to be, but I don't know if they're going to be as suitable as they were for the game on Sunday night against the Ravens in terms of wind, in terms of temperature, and those type of things. Because when you speak about Cincinnati, who at one point had one of the most diverse offenses in the league, but their running game has fallen off, with Joe Burrow now being that guy who's going to have to take control of the offense, who's going to have to play a major role in Cincinnati playing well, with the weather conditions in Buffalo, how much of that is going to be a deterrent or going to play into um, the advantage for one team or the other. Because both of these teams are going to be throwing the ball around a lot when you speak about their lack of a running game. So when you're speaking about Joe Burrow and you saw those injuries and you saw early on, especially after uh, the left tackle went down, that Burrow was doing a lot of uh, short passes, getting the ball out, not too many five- and seven-step drops. How is he going to be able to handle that moving forward as far as his offensive line is concerned against the Buffalo Bills in a game where, once again, points are going to be important in terms of scoring a lot of points is going to be important for the winner of this football game. This is not going to be a 17-13 game. So when I speak about points being important and points being premium, this is not... These defenses both for Cincinnati and Buffalo, they don't have the defenses that are going to um, slow down an offense enough to where they're going to be holding them to 13 points or 17 points or 21 points or 24 points. This is going to be a game, I think, that's going to be 30-something to 30-something or early 30-something to late 20-something. Which team is going to be in the 30s? Which team is going to be in the late 20s? It'll be interesting to see which offensive line for Cincinnati or um, Cincinnati or <clears throat> Buffalo 
plays better. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us speaking about what's happening, speaking about what's going on in the NFL, right? So I spoke about, man, I can't believe this, that, and the other. I spoke about the power rankings and this, that, and the other. And I spoke about the San Francisco 49ers. And I spoke a little bit about Brock Purdy. And I spoke a little bit about the Ravens. And I spoke a little bit about that game between the Ravens and the Cincinnati Bengals. And we haven't even hit America's team. We haven't even hit the game of the wild card round that wasn't really even that close. We're, we haven't even really touched we really hasn't we really haven't even gotten into this game between Tampa and Dallas. But we're going to. We're going to have to. Dak is back. McCarthy's job is set. Everything is fine in Dallas. Everything is good in Dallas. Right? Should that be the narrative? Should that what we, we, we should be talking about? McCarthy off the hot seat. Dak silences his doubters, right? Put him back into the closet. Put the nail in that coffin, right? After the game that Prescott have had against Tampa Bay? I'm going to tell you, hold on for a second now. Before we start talking about everything is cool, everything is good, everything is cool, my y'all, everything is right on, two thumbs up when we talk about Dallas, when we talk about the quarterback position. I'm going to say, hold on. Mike McCarthy's job situation, criticism leveled on Prescott, that got a reprieve, a nice reprieve. So I'll talk about that. And, and Tom Brady, what are we talking about? Where are we going? You know you got to have this discussion, right? Is he going to retire? Is he going to come back? Should he retire? Should he come back? I'm going to say this right now before I get up and boogie. going to say this right now. Man, I'm not the one. You're not the one. Nobody listening to this podcast has the right to be telling Tom Brady needs to retire, Tom Brady needs to go away. I think, I don't give a fuck what you think when it comes to Tom Brady retiring. Just like you shouldn't give a fuck what I think about Tom Brady retiring or not retiring. It's not my decision. It's not my deal. It's not my legacy. I ain't Tom Brady. So for me to sit there and say I would do this, it don't matter. Because I am not in that situation. Just like the same folks who were discussing, well, if I were Tom Brady, I would. It don't mean shit because you ain't Tom Brady and you ain't in that situation. So what you would do has no relevance, has no impact, weighs nothing into the discussion of whether Tom Brady should come back or not. So my discussion when we come back about Tom Brady, should he or should he not come back or this, that, and the other, it's not going to be based on what I think. Not gonna be any of that. I'm just gonna sit there and get my opinions in terms of if he does come back, this is what he's gonna be facing. Uh, you know, compared to if he doesn't come back, this is what this is how this is what his life could be moving forward. So that's what we'll get into in the second segment. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. What do I do right now? You know what? I'm gonna give you a little bit of my playlist. I'm gonna I'm gonna shake things up a little bit. You know, sometimes I like to get funky. Sometimes I like to play a little Otis Redding. Sometimes I like to play a little Curtis Mayfield. Sometimes I like to play a little Donnie Hathaway. Sometimes I like to play what's kind of current. Sometimes I like to do all of those things when I go to break. But right now, I've got this song stuck in my head. It had nothing to do with moving. It had nothing to do with grooving. It had nothing to do with boogieing. It had nothing to do with getting down. It had nothing to do with doing the kid and play. It had nothing to do with all of them things. But man... This song has been on my brain nonstop for the past four or five days. 
and I can't get it out of my head. So Wendell's World of Sports, just to let you know what I've been going through music-wise the last couple of days, this has been, I must play this song, I swear, not joking, no hyperbole, no bullshitting. I must play this song at least 25 times a day, man. I really do. I can't get it out of my head. Hey, hey, Mr. Dream Merchant, everything is dependent upon you by the smooth Iceman, Jerry Butler, Wendell's World in Sports. Goodbye to my love I didn't mean to make her cry I didn't realize that I loved Now I need her by my side Wendell's World in Sports I'm your host, Mr. Wendell Wallace Welcome back to the show. Hey, hey, it's Wendell's World in Sports. Everything depends on me. It's, uh, I don't know, man. I, this hurt. I know New Birth back in the mid 70s did that song. So when I hear a song, and you know, I hadn't heard that version in a while, but, um, I just remember listening to New Birth and it was like, man, who else? has done this song, because I know I've heard this song before in an earlier fashion, and when I uh, Wikipedia it, and I was like, who else sing? who else covered this song, and I was like, oh, it was originally for Jerry Butler, that's right, that's right, so it was like, I listened to Jerry Butler's version, it was like, all right, I can listen to this song every single flipping second of the flipping day, I don't know when this song is going to finally die down and turn to my love and affection for it. But man, you know, when you're at work, you're just sitting there going, hey, hey, Mr. Dream Merchant, everything depends on you. I mean, it's then you play Dusty Springfield and it's like, man, that's some good stuff, man. That's some really good stuff. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I'm recording this on a Wednesday night. Yeah, I know. I should have put it down on Tuesday, but uh, Tuesday at work kick my ass dealing with folks i mean sometimes it's like ooh, it's a chore so trying to eat better and you mixed in the fact that i had this huge salad um what was it it was uh kale it was spinach it was broccoli it was avocado it was tomatoes and it was huge but it did nothing for me it did nothing for me i was hungry and was famished i was starving and mentally i was drained you put you know, I, I, I need something saucy. I need something juicy. I need something sugary. I need something salty. And if not, man, I'm a wreck. I'm a wreck. So I ate that very healthy meal, and it just did nothing for me. So I wanted to uh, put this down on a Tuesday, but I was like, I have no energy. I have no goof. I have no gumption, no nothing. So I apologize for this coming out on either a late Wednesday night or an early Thursday morning. But uh, wherever you're listening to this program, 
I want you to know that, hey, hey, Mr. Dream Merchant, everything depends on you. Oh, hey, hey, Mr. Dream Merchant, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right. Let's go ahead and get into the wild card game. The wild card game, as I mentioned before, the game that was supposed to tell so much, the game that was supposed to mean so much, the game that was supposed to be the game of the weekend, right? Wasn't even close. Dallas thumps Tampa Bay 31-14 to to advance to play San Francisco in the divisional round for one game, right? Is Dak back? Is he better than ever? Has he shaken off the rust? Has he shaken off the, the whatever he was in against Tampa Bay? 25 of 33, 305 yards, five touchdowns, played turnover-free football for the first time in eight games, threw completions to eight different receivers, was the best performance. If you take a look at all of the performances of the weekend, right? More than Daniel Jones, more than Saquon Barkley, more than any of those guys, right? Wouldn't you say that Dak Prescott had the best performance of the playoffs by far? Wouldn't you say that he was the MVP of the weekend, the most valuable, the most impressive player of the uh, weekend in the playoff round? Wasn't Brock Purdy, wasn't anybody else I mentioned, right? Wouldn't you say that it was Dak Prescott, right? Complete team performance, though. It was a complete team performance. Dallas on offense, ran the ball more than they passed, had 425 total yards. Again, 35 rushing attempts, 33 passing attempts, ran for 128 yards at the team. Tony Pollard averaged 5 yards per carry on 15 attempts. Kellen Moore called a hell of a game. And then on defense, the Cowboys forced Tampa Bay to throw the ball 66 times, ran the ball only 12 times. Speaking of the Buccaneers, harassed Tom Brady. Tom Brady, it it, it seemed, I don't know, and I'm going to ask you this. Did it seem like Tom Brady early on just didn't want to be there because he kind of knew early on, like, oh, shit, this ain't going to be working. Yeah, we we, we really don't have a chance. Now, he was part of of the part that thought, Gee, we really don't have a have a chance. He he played like it, but but where was the fire? Where was the belief? Where was the passion? And look, I'm not on the football field. I'm not talking to the guy. I'm not in the huddle. I'm not hearing what he's saying. So I could I could be completely off, but it just seemed like there was a resolution to Tom Brady early on in the game, especially when he threw that interception that we're not going to beat this team. So this is just going to be 48, 60 minutes or whatever of just. Or, or 48 minutes, of 60 minutes of just playing hell in a beatdown. So, the Cowboys defense, they, they didn't sack him a lot, but they confused him, they frustrated him, they harassed him. And look, this was Tom Brady's, one of Tom Brady's worst games. Had to be his worst game in the playoff, right? Can't uh, imagine um, Brady, uh, let me see. I think maybe there was a game against Baltimore, uh, the Ravens, I believe, in like the first decade of the 21st century, the uh, Ravens beat the Patriots pretty good. I don't know, but 33 to 14, or whatever, where you know Brady was beaten pretty badly. But uh, you know, when you're speaking about the playoff games that Brady had participated in, it really doesn't come to mind the uh, similar type of beatdown that the Dallas Cowboys gave Brady uh, in this game. So, look, man. 
this was more likely the one-sided domination. When you're speaking about it, there was hype because this was Dallas and everybody likes to talk about Dallas. And so this game, everybody likes to talk about Dallas and everybody likes to talk about Tom Brady. So going into the game, yeah, I guess you could sit there and be like, ooh, this game is going to be juicy. Ooh, this game is going to be interesting. Ooh, this game is going to be close. Ooh, this game is going to be the game of the wild card weekend. Ooh, this game is much-watched television. Ooh, all these type of things. But when you took a look at the game itself and you took a look at the score and you took a look at the one-sided domination, this was more likely to happen rather than, you know, Tampa Bay really having a chance to win. Because look, it's Dallas and with Dallas in the emotions, we kind of go the week by week on this. If they play a horrible game, they're the worst team ever. If they play a great game, they're going to win the Super Bowl, right? So a lot of people were feeding off of the last game that Dallas played against my commanders, where they looked bad, where they looked horrible, where they looked disinterested, where they looked uh, putrid, all of those things. And you take a look at Tampa and what they had to do to get back in and make it to the uh, playoffs, despite the fact that they had an 8-9 and nine record, and everybody was sitting there going, man, you know, Brady, 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 Brady in the playoffs, Brady's going to turn it on, this, that, and the other. And and many people, because of that, it was the uh, it was the du jour to say that, yeah, the um, the, the, the Buccaneers are going to win the game. And, and I think a lot of people really fed into this, oh my goodness, Dallas is in trouble narrative, but also, hey, look, man, if you're looking for something if you're if you're doing this for a living, or if you're doing this on a podcast, and, and you're looking for something to yell and scream and get people interested in, right? Wouldn't it be more interested as far as talking about what's happening in the world of sports, in the world of football, if you're doing a talk show, if you're doing a podcast, if you're doing a TV show, if you're doing anything talking about sports and talking about the NFL, wouldn't it be juicier? Wouldn't it be more interesting if Dallas would have came out and lost to Tampa Bay? Because then we could start talking about Mike McCarthy. Then we could start talking about Jerry Jones. Then we could start talking about Dak Prescott. Then we could start talking about Brady and his greatness. Then we could start talking about Dallas had never beaten Brady and now they're 0-8. Now we could be speaking about another underperforming season for the Cowboys. Now we can start speaking about all of those things. And they can keep that up for for the entire week. They wouldn't even have to go over all of the other teams and all of the other games and all of the other scores and all of the other storylines. You know, those on the Shannon the Skip show and those on the Mike Greenberg show and those on the Screaming A. Smith and those on the other programs, the Cowherds and all that type of stuff. Oh man, it would just be I mean, they're speaking about the Cowboys anyway, right? But just think of just think of the tone. Just think of the passion. Just think of the excitement. Just think of the narrative. Just think of the difference that it would be if the Cowboys would have came out and lost this game. Just think if Prescott had another bad game against Tampa Bay and they would have lost. It would have been a lot more juicier. It would have been a lot more interesting. It would have been a lot more passionate to have these guys yell and scream about Prescott and Mike McCarthy and Jerry Jones and the offensive line and the defense and Dan Quinn and Kellen Moore and everything related to the Dallas Cowboys, right? If those guys would have lost that game. So I think in some of the predictions that people were giving on ESPN.com, CBSSports.com, NFL.com, on the Talking Head shows, they were all talking about, yeah, you know what, I'm going to go with the Buccaneers not fully based on how much fun it would be to knock and talk about the Cowboys on Monday if they or Tuesday if they lost, but also that played a role in it. But 
this was more likely the outcome of, again, if you take a look at both of those teams and where they were the back half of the NFL regular season. And yeah, the NFL is a week-to-week basis. And yeah, when you're speaking about the playoff, that basically is a situation where, hey, look, man, you, you really do throw the records out and you start playing and you start doing some things. And we've seen some teams who have been the best in the league for 16, 17 weeks lose the first time they get into the playoffs. And we've seen teams who have battled, who have struggled to get into the playoffs, make it all the way to the Super Bowl. But look, man, when you speak about Dallas, and you speak about, oh my goodness, the, they lost to Washington and this, that, and the other, they, they were 6-2 and two in the last eight games of the season. They beat Minnesota, destroyed Minnesota, killed Minnesota on the road. They beat Philadelphia. Yeah, I know it was without Jalen Hurts, but they put up a lot of points thanks to four turnovers by, in Philadelphia. You know, they, they beat the, uh, the New York Giants, right? One of the losses was a was a on the road to Jacksonville in overtime, where people started freaking out. Oh, I can't believe that they lost to Jacksonville. Hey, man, Jacksonville did the divisional round of the playoffs, and this wasn't something to where when Jacksonville was lowly sitting there two and six or whatever, or had a bad record and was considered one of the worst teams in the NFL. This is when Jacksonville was on their descent, ascension. And they beat the Cowboys in overtime thanks to an interception return off, off of a fluke interception. So now that we take a look back at it, even at that period of time when Jacksonville and Dallas played each other, this wasn't as much of an upset or a cause for concern for Dallas than we first thought when they lost to Jacksonville at the time. Meanwhile, consequently, we take a look at the other end of the spectrum with Dallas coming in. Six and two impressive victories, but just having that one hiccup, that one off the uh, out of body experience, poor performance against the Washington Commanders. Tampa Bay was coming into the game. Yeah, they had a comeback victory, beating Carolina. Carolina, really? That's the uh, oh my goodness gracious, their back type of game because they didn't have anybody in the secondary. Carolina was so depleted in the secondary that they went out and, and, and got Josh Norman. And then played man-on-man defense uh, against uh, Mike uh, Evans. So Brady came back from that game. They were losing against uh, Carolina before they came back and won that game. Before that, the Bucks had barely beaten Arizona 19-16 with, I think, a third-string quarterback. They were blown out by San Francisco. They lost to the Cleveland Browns. There was really nothing in the arsenal. There was really nothing in the resume. There was really nothing on the highlight reel that gave anybody any real reason to say that Tampa Bay was going to win this game except for Dallas and the way that they played against Washington and because Tom Brady is Tom Brady or people were believing this is Tom Brady from two years ago or Tom Brady from 12 years ago or Tom Brady from 15 years ago so to me it wasn't like unbelievable this is un- this, you know, this is incredible that Dallas is winning this football game. Wendell's World in Sports I'm your host Wendell Wallace so glad that you could be with us so really What does it mean now for Dallas moving forward? Because again, if you're a Cowboy fan, man, let me ask you. Let me ask you, Cowboy fan, Cal Gal, what what is the temperature like now in Dallas in terms of Mike McCarthy? What is the attitude now with Dak Prescott? What is the exhale factor now with the Cowboys? What is the expectation level now for the Cowboys? What's the realistic expectation for the Cowboys right now? Because it was a situation where 
A lot of folks out there were talking about doom and gloom, a lot of negativity toward Dak Prescott, a lot of situation where Mike McCarthy was on the hot seat. So you can't come in here and tell me that the high majority of Dallas Cowboy fans were thinking this was going to be a 31-14 type of domination over Tampa Bay. Nobody was speaking that nonsense after the commanders, after my commanders commanded the Dallas Cowboys to an ass whooping like they did at the end of the regular season. So now moving in, what does this win mean for Dallas? Where does it put the temperature of concern, expectations, confidence in when, when you're speaking about Dallas after this win? Where do we go? How high? How low? How unrealistic? How subdued are we speaking about here? Because speculation, again, if they would have lost, Mike McCarthy would have been fired. Serious questions would have risen about Dak Prescott being the right quarterback for the team. Oh my goodness, he lost to Tampa Bay. Oh my goodness, he's floundering at the end of the season. Oh my goodness, he's only won one playoff game. Oh my goodness, he's never won a playoff game on the road. Oh my goodness, you calculate all of that. You put that all into the fact that Dak Prescott is also making $40 million a year and he can't be the team on the road like Tampa Bay that has an 8-9 record when this could be the best chance that Dak Prescott has an opportunity to win a conference or Super Bowl championship. If the Dallas Cowboys would have lost that game, that would have been the scuttlebutt. That would have been the discussions. Should the Cowboys, what is Jerry Jones going to do? Is he going to blow up the team and start all over again? What are we going to do about, could you imagine hearing the name Cooper Rush again? If Prescott had a bad game against Tampa Bay and lost that game, would we be speaking about uh, uh, Derek Carr? Would we be speaking about, I don't know, a trade for Jordan Love? What would we, would we be speaking about trying to manipulate an opportunity to get Trey Lance? What would have been the scuttlebutt? What would have been the discussion? What would have been the talking points? What would you have guys been speaking about at lunchtime today down in Dallas? All you Cowboy fans during your 15, 30-minute break, what would you have been speaking about? What would have been the direction of the Dallas Cowboys discussion if they would have lost to Tampa Bay. Number one, you guys would have been screaming and hollering that Mike McCarthy has to go. So all of that has been abated. All of that has been avoided with this win against Tampa Bay. So it's over now, right? Can Mike McCarthy exhale? Can Dak Prescott exhale? They just got a reprieve in terms of them winning this game. This doesn't calm down anybody. This doesn't put this aside. This doesn't put this to rest. This doesn't put this in bed in terms of, oh, okay, we did what we needed to do. No, 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 no. Remember the feeling that you have now. Remember the anger that you had a week ago. Remember the, remember the emotions that you had after the game against Washington. Because if they go out and the Cowboys lose to the San Francisco 49ers, let's just say they, they, they lose decisively. We're not even get, talking about getting blown out. L let's say, for instance, if the Cowboys lose 28-7, or the Cowboys lose 35-14, or 35-17, or 38-21, somewhere along those lines. All of the angst, all of the anger, all of the frustration will be placed, will be heaped right back on Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott.
you you best believe that. Because now this is the situation. I'm sorry. The Cowboys, Jerry Jones said it himself, right? That he has a team that's good enough to win the Super Bowl, right? Right? And look, we know San Francisco. We we, we know about their story. We know about the fact that they've won 10 games in a row. We know about the coaching acumen on the offensive side from Kyle Shanahan. We know how good uh, DeMarco, uh, Ryan, DeMarco Ryan in that defense had been for San Francisco. We know about the playmakers that they have on offense. We know about all those things. We know about the offensive line. We know about the running game. We know about the defense. We know about the coaching. We know about Christian McCaffrey. When you're speaking about the San Francisco 49ers. Cowboy fans, you know all that. Doesn't change your expectations. You expect to beat San Francisco, don't you? After that game against Tampa Bay, as dominant as they were, as impressive as they were, you expect them to go down to San Francisco or go across the country to San Francisco, go west of the Mississippi and beat the uh, San Francisco 49ers, don't you? You should. Th- this should be a game where it should be almost close to a pick And I'm going to tell you why. Because of that Dallas defense and because of Dak Prescott. That should be the reason why you guys should be, if not favorite, damn near close to it. And you're speaking about pressure. You're speaking about expectations. There should be more expectations on Dak Prescott this week to win the football game against San Francisco than it should have been in the game against Tampa Bay. And yes, I understand that Tampa Bay was 8-9. and nine. Yes, I understand that Tampa Bay really shouldn't have been in the playoffs. Yes, I understand, understand all those things. I understand all those things, but let, let's put it this way, right? What, what, what should be the expectation for Dak Prescott moving forward in the NFC? Why, why should he not, and the Cowboys, why should they not be favored to beat the San Francisco 49ers? He is now, without question, the best quarterback in the NFC playoffs, don't you think? I know you're going to throw out Jalen Hurts, and I know you're going to throw out the career, uh, the uh, career season that he had. I know you're going to do those things, but doggone it, man, I, I, I'm sorry. He hasn't shown anything in the playoffs yet. He hasn't had that playoff experience yet. This is going to be his first real playoff experience. I think when you throw that in there, I think that Dak Prescott has the right to claim that he is the best quarterback still in the NFC as far as the contenders are concerned, the teams that are still in the playoffs. Because the only teams that are left, the Philadelphia Eagles, the New York Giants, the San Francisco 49ers, and the Dallas Cowboys, take a look at them quarterbacks. For Dallas, you have... For Dallas, you have uh, Dak Prescott, but then what, 49ers have Brock Purdy? The New York Giants have Daniel Jones? And Philadelphia has Jalen Hurts. Dak Prescott has more playoff experience than all three of those quarterbacks put together. When you're speaking about he's played in five playoff games and won two of them. That's one more than each one of Brock Purdy and Daniel Jones and two more than um, Jalen Hurts heading into this weekend. Hertz has played the one playoff game. Now, Purdy and Jones have played the one playoff game. Prescott has played in five. Advantage should be with the Cowboys and Dak Prescott. Prescott, and I'm sorry, I, I, I know when they hit the playing field, this shouldn't be a factor, but it is when we're speaking about expectation. 
Dak Prescott is making $40 million a year. $40 million. He's making five times more than Daniel Jones, Brock Purdy, and Jalen Hurts put together. Jalen Hurts is making $1.3 million. Daniel Jones is making $6.4 million. Brock Purdy is making $938,000. I ain't calling that chump change, and I shouldn't even say only, because you give me $1.3 million right now, if you give me $938,000 right now, if you give me $500,000 right now, if you give me $100,000 right now, hell, if you give me $25 so I can go out and order myself a large pizza, I'm going to be dancing in the street like Martha and the Vandellas and dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie. So, yeah, I understand that when I say only, when you're speaking about these guys making this money, but with the money comes the expectations. When you are making $40 million a year, it ain't good enough to lose to Brock Purdy and the San Francisco 49ers. It ain't good enough. And, yeah, it's a team game. And no team game is more team-oriented in terms of victors and defeats than the game of football. Because the last time I checked, Dak that Prescott wasn't out there rushing the quarterback, defending a wide receiver, calling out the defense, running the football, blocking, punting, or kicking extra points. The only thing in that game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that might have caused concern for Dallas Cowboy fans, the fact that you got a kicker who can't make extra points. But other than that, it doesn't matter. It don't matter that the field goal kicker can't make extra points. It doesn't matter about any of those things. Dak Prescott is making $40 million a year. If you can't beat the San Francisco 49ers, if you can't have a great game against the San Francisco 49ers, if you get beat on the other side with a seventh string, with a seventh round, third string quarterback, rookie quarterback beating you, then why in the hell are we playing Dak Prescott $40 million? If we could go out and lose to the San Francisco 49ers like that, we might as well be paying, playing Cooper Rush and saving ourselves a lot of money. Correct? Right? That's where the $40 million comes in. That's where the $40 million band comes in. That's when those expectations shoot up. Because now, Dak Prescott, you wanted that money? $40 million? That's a franchise quarterback type money, Holmes. You have got to win that game. And when you have three quarterbacks left in the um, NFC that are making a combined $8.6 million with Daniel Jones making up about 80% of that $8.6 million, I'm sorry, Dak Prescott, you need to win the conference championship. And if you don't, then what is it going forward? What is going to be happening moving forward? What does it mean for you as a quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys long-term if you can't get it done against the San Francisco 49ers. Notice I didn't mention anything about the Philadelphia Eagles. Losing a close game to the Eagles in the NFC Championship game, understandable. If you lose a close contest to the San Francisco 49ers, mm, I don't know about that, but you damn sure better not lose to the 49ers in, de in decisive fashion. Because if you do... The chances in terms of Mike McCarthy coming back, I just don't see it. I, I just don't see it. The Cowboys have made an investment in terms of winning a championship. And if Prescott can't can, uh, do things going up against Brock Purdy, what does that say? That would be pretty sad for Dak Prescott. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Look, with the Tom Brady situation, I'm not going to get into... Was this his last game? 
What does the legacy mean for Tom Brady? What does it mean for him to go out like this if this is his last game? What's this, that, and the other? Where do you rank Tom Brady now? This, I, I'm not, I can't, I can't do this. Hey, look, man, that, that record, that, that song is going to be played so many times. It's going to make Dream Merchant, as much as I'm playing Dream Merchant, it's going to make me sound like, it's going to make me be like, I've never played this song before. In terms of listening to what is Tom Brady, once the season's over, and if Tom Brady hasn't made a decision yet, just like Aaron Rodgers won't make a decision yet, we have plenty of time, plenty of material, plenty of space to talk about Tom Brady. What's up with Tom Brady? What's going to be happening to Tom Brady? What's the legacy of Tom Brady? Is Tom Brady going to retire? Should Tom Brady retire? Should Tom Brady come back? Tom Brady was terrible last year. Whose fault was that? How much blame do you put on Tom Brady? Is Tom Brady finished? Just the same bullshit as Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers went on Pat McAfee's show and he said this. What does it mean? Aaron Rodgers was spotted playing golf with somebody. What does it mean? Aaron Rodgers was spotted and he said hello to somebody. What does that mean? What does it mean for the Packers? Should the Packers come back and play him? What about Jordan Love? I, I, I just can't. I can't. I, we, we've got a long time to go on and on and on and on and on about that bullshit. I will table it. But I will say this. I will just give you a little bit of nibble when it comes to Tom Brady because this was his last game of the season. And he's a free agent. So now there's speculation about, well, if he does come back, is he going to come back to the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Is he going to go play with his good buddy, um, Josh McDaniel, in Vegas? Is he going to go here? Is he going to go there? And everything is based off the narrative of, well, if he comes back in place, he's going to go to a team that's a quarterback away from winning a Super Bowl or a quarterback away from competing for a Super Bowl, similar to when he made his decision to leave New England, that he was going to go to a team that had a chance to win the uh, Super Bowl. So instead of going out to play with the San Diego Chargers, doggone it, going out and playing for the Los Angeles Chargers or going to play for the Tennessee Titans or going to play for the New York Jets, he made the decision to play for Tampa because of the squad, of the talent, of the weapons that they had around him, right? Back then, way back then, when a young spry Tom Brady of 43, hey, look, man, he had Ron Gronkowski. He had the running game. He had the defense. He had the coaching on the offensive and defensive coordinator side. He had Chris Godwin. He had um, uh, O.J. Howard. He had uh, the tools to go ahead. He had the offensive line for him to be successful. I, I, I don't know... If a 46-year-old Tom Brady is really that guy to be the one player that's the difference maker in winning a championship. And people talk about, people who know a lot more about football, Steve Young and Dan Orlovsky and all these guys talking about, he still slings it, he can still play, he can still throw it, and he can still make all the throws and all this type of thing. Well, then what the hell happened this year, man? What's going on this year? I don't want to hear some nonsense about, well, they had a bad offensive line and they didn't have a running game and the wide receivers were hurt. They didn't have a, uh, they didn't have a uh, tight end and the defense finally collapsed after having put too much weight and responsibility on them to win. And all. I don't want to hear all that nonsense. Tom Brady wasn't very good this season. Tom Brady was not top 10 as far as a quarterback this season. I'm sorry. 
You can bring in all the particulars. You can bring in all the excuses. The bottom line was Tom Brady wasn't that good for a team that shouldn't have made the playoffs. And the only reason why they didn't make the playoffs because they were in a lousy division and they didn't live up to preseason expectations. So a change of scenery all of a sudden is going to turn Tom Brady back into a guy to one of the few players, one of the few quarterbacks in the, in the league that could be a difference maker in terms of this is the, the reason why he can win a Super Bowl or he's going to be the guy that's going to be able to push this team to win a Super Bowl. I don't see it. I don't see that team. I don't see a situation like he had when he left New England to go to Tampa. I, I just don't see it. People are pointing to the Las Vegas Raiders. Man, they've got Devontae Adams. they got the coach. And Brady knows that offense backwards and forwards. And he would be awesome. And he would be great. And, you know, they've got the Darryl Waller at the tight end. And they've got a strong running game if they re-sign Josh Jacobs and this, that, and the other. You, you guys do realize that they're in the same division as Patrick Mahomes, right? You guys do know that the oak that the geez, that the Las Vegas Raiders are in the same division as Justin Herbert and the Los Angeles Chargers, right? I mean, you, you do know that, right? I, I, I'm just saying. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm just saying. So, if you're the Las Vegas Raiders, I mean, for me, I might be a little bit more interested in someone like a Jordan Love than I would be of a Tom Brady because Tom Brady is not going to put them over the top. And oh, by the way, you, you do realize if Tom Brady does go to the AFC and he's the quarterback that the Raiders need for them to compete for a Super Bowl, take a look at those quarterbacks in the AFC. Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, the probability of Lamar Jackson. You, you, you really think that Tom Brady can be that much of a difference maker for the Las Vegas Raiders to be better than all of them? Because the Raiders didn't make the playoffs this season. All those other teams I mentioned just did. So so, so now all of a sudden, that's going to be Tom Brady. He's going to be the uh, reason why? I don't think so. I mean, you can maybe point to the San Francisco 49ers. I mean, if you can win with Jimmy Garoppolo and Brock Purdy, you can win with anybody, right? You definitely you could win with a 46-year-old Tom Brady who is still able physically to sling it, right? Best running game in the league, which means that he wouldn't be throwing for he wouldn't be throwing 66 times in the game, or he wouldn't be playing behind a he wouldn't have the responsibility that he had in Tampa, where he was leading the league in passing attempts. When you're speaking about how um, how solid and how spectacular the running game is for San Francisco and Chris McCaffrey and Debo Samuels and George Kittle and Brandon Cook could be the stars of that offense and not 46-year-old Tom Brady carrying the heavy load. They have one of the best coaching staffs and defenses in the league. I can see all those things. I can see all those reasons why. And you take a look at the NFC right now, and you take a look at how wide open it is, why couldn't you have the San Francisco 49ers? I'm quite sure that uh, as of right now, even the year that Tom Brady had, if you could somehow, way swap Tom Brady for Brock Purdy to play against the uh, Dallas Cowboys, if you're the San Francisco 49ers, you would do it. But if you're the 49ers, if you're the 49ers fans who believe in this stuff, let me ask you this. Do the 49ers really need... Tom Brady to win the Super Bowl, especially if Purdy continues to play this well? 
And here's another thing. You're giving up on Trey Lance already? Based on what? Based on who? Based on how? Well, he had to perform yet. Okay. This was going to be a situation where this wasn't... Trey Lance wasn't coming in with the experience playing in college like a Joe Burrow. He wasn't one of these guys that was NFL-ready right off the bat. San Francisco spent a lot. San Francisco invested a lot into Trey Lance. You're going to give up on him already for a 46-year-old Tom Brady? What do you do if Purdy plays well? You, you can't get rid of him, right? I mean, shouldn't he be allowed to come back and fight for the starting job or at least uh, go into training camp with the starting job if he continues to play well, whether the San Francisco 49ers win the Super Bowl or not? I mean, you're really going to do that with... Uh, and you're really going to throw all that aside for a one-year fix, possibly, with Tom Brady, a 46-year-old quarterback? That's the guarantee for them to win the championship? Should Brady try and play for the Jets or the Dolphins? Should he go back to Tampa Bay? I don't know. We'll see. It's a long summer. But but I always think the narrative of, well, he's the quarterback that a team needs to have for them to improve drastically. For Tom Brady, I think that ship has sailed. I think that ship is gone, y'all. The SS Tom Brady being on your team makes you extraordinarily better on offense. That's no longer the case. So where do we go from here with the Tom Brady? I don't know about you, but Tom Brady's going back home, and I'm going to a break. Who you calling the bitch? Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Just a quick little detour, man, I haven't spoken about the NBA in so long, I'm just jonesing to speak about the NBA, watching, I'm recording this while I'm watching the um, Atlanta Hawks-Dallas Mavericks game, and uh, you know, of course, my goodness, this is the situation, Luka versus Trey Young, and going back to the 2017 or 18 draft when... Um, the Hawks drafted Luca. They traded them, traded him to a Dallas. Dallas drafted Trey Young, and these guys are going to be linked and blah blah blah. And you know which guy is better or which you know which this is you know who won the trade and all this kind of nonsense. And I remember, and I'll say it again. I remember when the Hawks beat the Seventy uh, Sixers in the Ben Simmons passing up a layup game in Game Seven in that series. And um, they went on and they lost to the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. 
couple of years ago in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals. And people were talking about, oh, yeah, you know, Trey Young doing this. And, you know, he had that series against the New York Knicks where he was showboating and playing the heel and doing all these type of things and, you know, playing to the crowd and being the villain. And I think Luka at the time, I think Luka made the playoffs, but I forgot who he lost to. Because they lo- I forgot who they lost to. I don't remember. Maybe it was the Clippers or something like that. But it was a situation where like, yeah, you know, the Hawks, they made out with this trade, you know, because look at what uh, trade, uh, trade Lance, not trade Lance, um, uh, you know, look, take a look at what, what this guy's becoming and Trey Young is becoming and blah, blah, blah. And Luca hasn't made it just yet. And I said, man, y'all better pump the fucking brakes, man. Unless Trey Young becomes on the same level as Isaiah Thomas, John Stockton, Allen Iverson, and some of the other great small men who have ever played the fucking game, unless he can reach those heights, then no, without question, Dallas won that trade by getting Luka. Because Luka is going to be a generational talent. Now, I don't know how many championships that kid's going to win. I don't know how many MVPs he's going to win. I don't know where he's going to go down when everything is all said and done in terms of the greatest players of all time. I don't know where he's going to fit in terms of the greatest players of his generation. I don't know about all those things. But I can tell you right now, he's going to be better than Trey Young. He's going to be better than Trey Young, and he's going to be much better than Trey Young. He's not going to be the gap between Trey Young and uh, Marvin Bagley, who the Sacramento Kings picked over Luka. He's not going to be as uh, far in terms of the Phoenix Suns drafting DeAndre Ayton over Luka, but I'm sorry to sit there and talk about, well, maybe, you know, the fact that the Hawks are in the Eastern Conference Finals and Dallas can't do this, that maybe the trade between them wasn't that bad. Nope, nope, nope. Don't even go there. Luca, the this generation Larry Bird, that guy's going to be doing some things, man. He's a, he's a mix between Larry, Michael, and um, LeBron. And you know how I hate to be dealing with those type of bullshit type of analogies, man. But when you speak about his, um, you know, the LeBron James influence mixed in with the, the way that he plays the game, his speed, his knowledge, his genius, um, just the way that he plays, the usage that he's going to have, man. Luca is, when everything is all said and done, Luca, as far as rebounding, assists, and, um, and uh, scoring, this man's probably going to be a career 28, 11, and 9 type of guy when everything is all said and done after 15, 16 years. So, yeah, Trey Young ain't coming close to that. So, okay, that's my NBA that's my NBA deal. I had to get that out. Thank you so doggone much. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us speaking about what is happening, speaking about what is going on in the NFL, in, in the playoffs. Hey, man. Daniel Jones and the, and the New York Giants, right? The upset of the playoffs that really wasn't an upset, even though you consider it an upset. But when you look closer, it really wasn't an upset. But because of the seeds and where they were playing, it was an upset. And maybe when you take a look at the records, it was an upset. But then again, when you took a look at those two teams playing in the regular season against each other, it really wasn't an upset. I don't know, but what was a hell of a game. And uh, the New York Giants prevailing 31-24 over the Minnesota Vikings, their first playoff win in 11 years. Daniel Jones. Daniel, Daniel Jones. He's got some things going on, Billy Paul. But man, Daniel Jones was uh, fantastic. Three, uh, 301 yards, two touchdowns, 
ran for 78 yards in his first career playoff game. And some of those calls that they were making in terms of him running for 78 yards, hey, man, that wasn't just, uh, you know, running for your life type of, uh, of, of uh, yards that he was doing. Those were designed running plays that Daniel Jones uh, was executing against the Vikings. In fact, he became the first quarterback, speaking of Daniel, Daniel Jones, first quarterback in NFL history to have 300-plus yard passing game, two-plus passing touchdown game, and a 70-yard rushing game and a postseason game all boiled into one. Daniel, Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, also had a strong game overall, 109 yards, 14 touches, rushed for two touchdowns, including the tiebreaker midway through the fourth quarter. Giant defense bent, but didn't break against Minnesota. Okay, if you're the New York Giants, again, before we start sitting up there and talk about Daniel Jones paying up money, Daniel Jones, he is the lead. Daniel Jones is the franchise quarterback. Remember, Daniel Jones also played against the Minnesota Vikings team that was very porous on defense. I don't give a fuck. Hey, this, that, and the other. Daniel Jones paying this money, this, that, and the other. You're going to franchise tag which one, Daniel Jones or Saquon Barkley? Which one are you going to give them the money? Which one are you going to uh, franchise? I would franchise Saquon and I would give, well, geez, I don't know, man. Because when you take a look at it, running backs are more important, of course, than running backs. Quarterbacks are more important than running backs. Yeah, but doggone, man. I mean, Saquon is so dynamic. But then he's got that injury history. But he's so important. But then again, how many touches does he really have during the game as far as running or receiving? Compare that to Daniel Jones' quarterback holding you know, having the ball on every single play, the responsibility, the importance, the impact. But man, if you're speaking about franchise tagging someone like a Daniel Jones, or if you're speaking about giving Daniel Jones franchise money type of quarterback, man, what does that mean for the Giants moving forward? Because the Giants that we know of right now, and the Giants that we knew of during their heyday when they were winning championships, Things have got to be turned around. If you're going to give Daniel Jones franchise money, if you're going to give Daniel Jones big contract type money, hey, we need to do something about that receiving core. We need to go out and do something because that receiving core is lacking. Maybe Patrick Mahomes could do something with it. Maybe Josh Allen could do something with it. But over the long term, Daniel Jones ain't that guy. And then if you're going to be tying up so much money into Daniel Jones, hey, man, you better go ahead and kind of flip the script and start building that offense around him and getting him some offensive weapons, getting him a go, a receiver who can go, go, go. So, yeah, but, but he played he played well. No doubt that he played well. Did the Giants have a chance against the Eagles? The Eagles, are the Giants now the team of destiny? Are the Giants now that Cincinnati Bengals team from last season? Are the Giants now that team is going to shook up the, shake up the world? Okay, let's kind of pump our brakes again. Minnesota, how fraudulent were the Vikings? They, well, they, man, they were, you know, they only lost three games, this, that, and the other. Minnesota never impressed me. Minnesota, with the one-score games, you knew that sooner or later that this was going to bite them. But we can't blame Kirk Cousins. This was a situation where you would think if the Vikings were going to lose this football game, it would be because Kurt Cousins would have done a something Kurt Cousins, not step up in the big game. But no, man, you were wrong. You would be wrong. 
you would be really wrong. He played a game that was good enough for the Vikings to win. 31 of 39, 273 yards, two touchdowns passing, one rushing. The the only thing maybe that you could fault with him, and maybe I give this more to the offensive coordinating and the play play calling of uh, Kevin O'Connell, was the fact that Jordan Jefferson had seven catches but for only 47 yards. And after Jefferson had four catches on the opening drive of the game in which the Vikings scored a touchdown, he had only three more the rest of the way and had just one in the second half. Now, T.J. Hawkinson, the pickup from Detroit, was uh, being targeted all over the field and he was unstoppable. Targeted 11 times, 10 receptions, 129 yards. But that's nice and great and everything. But hey, man, when you got Jordan Jefferson, it, 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 it's been proven that if you throw it up, he will get it, regardless of what the defense is, regardless of what the uh, 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 DBs are, are on him. He will go and get it. So, yeah, man, I'm thinking I'm thinking about this game against Philadelphia. How well does Jones play? Because just like Prescott, if Jones stinks it up or if Jones doesn't perform well, then all of that goodwill against Minnesota doesn't completely evaporate but enough to be like, hey, man, that stuff about franchise quarterback, I don't think so. I don't think that's going to be happening. And when you think about the Giants having the seventh worth passing attack in in this uh, past season and averaging just 185 yards per game, which ranked last in the NFL with only 16 passes over 25 yards, you're going to give Daniel Jones that type of money on the totality of everything? And you're going to all of a sudden say, well, let's throw that away and let's kind of you know, talk about one game? I don't know. I don't know. The game against Philadelphia, they're going to have to put up some points. But then again, we don't know about Philadelphia. We don't know about we don't know about Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I guess his shoulder's going to be better because he had to play in a while, the week off. But how much rust is there going to be? And how much of a team like Philadelphia, who's never been in this position before, with a coach who's never been in this position before, how are they going to handle this? And if it does take them a quarter, a quarter and a half to finally regain their sea legs, their game legs, and get back into the groove of things, can Jones and the New York Giants take advantage of that? Because if they start getting, if they if they take a lead in the game by a score or two, all of a sudden now, maybe it might cause some uncomfortability for a team in Philadelphia that's never been in that situation before when you're speaking about their first playoff game for a lot of the important players on this team for their coach in that situation. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Um, Let me see, should I talk about Jacksonville? You know what? I'm going to talk about Jacksonville. I'm going to talk about Jacksonville when we come back real quick because Nikola Jokic and the uh, Denver Nuggets are playing the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. So just for a quick second, I want to see Jokic do a thing. But I'm going to end the uh, podcast with Jacksonville, the comeback that they had against the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. Talk about that game and then get on out of here right here on Wendell's World and Sports. Last segment of the podcast, last segment of the program. 
I'm going to make this uh, very brief because I am starving. I hate to say this, man, but I had it, we had the um, Wednesday, third Wednesday of every month uh, luncheon today at work and whew, had myself a, just a fantastic uh, burger with some eggs and some some wings and all of that good stuff. The problem is we had that at uh, 12 o'clock and it's damn near going towards 7 o'clock in the evening. So I haven't eaten anything in like four or five hours and I am starving. So yes, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to be speaking about the game really that was uh, a comeback for the ages. Down 27 nothing second quarter. Jacksonville coming back to uh, beat the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. 31 to 30, 27 nothing in the second quarter, 27 7 at the half. Trevor Lawrence goes from throwing four interceptions in the first half and having the narrative of, well, he's young and he's learning and this will be a good learning tool for him and all this kind of stuff. He goes from that to being, damn, this guy at the man throws four interceptions in the first half, then throws four touchdowns in the second half. Engineered the winning drive. Speaking about Trav, engineered the winning drive. Highlighted by Travis Etienne's 25-yard run on fourth and one play. Put the Jaguars in position for Riley Patterson's 36-yard field goal on the final play. And it was like, wait a minute, Jacksonville just won that game? So they've won their sixth consecutive game. Their uh, fifth straight game at home. And all five of them have come from behind in terms of them winning. So how about that, man? Jacksonville's comeback goes down to the third biggest comeback in postseason history, only behind Buffalo's rally on January 3rd, 1993, when they were down 35-3 to against Houston. Great story, man. I actually got on the plane. And I got on the plane after I think Warren Moon threw to either Ernest Givens or Haywood Jeffries. I was going back to San Diego. I was living... I was living in San Diego at the time, and uh, I got on the plane, and they were ahead by something, this, that, the other, so I got up there, and I was like, well, there's no way that that Houston's going to lose this game, and at that time, Houston with Warren Moon was my favorite team, yes, even more than the then-Washington nickname that I won't pronounce, but yeah, when you had my hero, one of my heroes, Warren Moon, and you had Hayward Jeffries, and you had Ernest Givens, and you had all of those guys, and and the offense that they played with, man, that was my guys, those were my guys, so when I got on the plane to head back to San Diego, because I just couldn't wait to see Reina Rodriguez and make a fool out of myself by me trying to date her, as she laughed in my face consistently with good reason, I was like, man, the the um, I mean, Houston's got this in the bag. And when I got off the plane, it was like, wait a minute, Houston lost? Because remember, back then you didn't have cell phones, you didn't have iPhones, you didn't have iPads, you didn't have computers, you didn't have any of that stuff. So I was walking by in, in, the, in, the, in the terminal and people were surrounding the TV talking about, I can't believe Houston lost. I was like, wait a minute, they were up like 28 nothing or some bullshit like that. So yeah, so the comeback was the third largest in postseason history behind Buffalo's rally against Houston and Indianapolis's uh, 28-point comeback against Kansas City, led by Andrew Luck um, in one of the divisional round games in 2014. So there you go, man. This this is a situation where this is might be the worst loss in recent history since Atlanta blowing a 28-3 lead 
to New England in the Super Bowl. In fact, that was a lot worse because, hell, it was a Super Bowl. And we saw what happened to Dan Quinn as the coach. We saw what happened to Matt Ryan as a quarterback. It was a situation where it was kind of like, man, you blew the opportunity. You blew your only opportunity. See, New England uh, would in all likelihood would have gotten other chances to do some things, but it felt like Atlanta, this is your one and only chance. And not only did you blow it, that loss kind of destroyed uh, that organization to which they still haven't recovered from that game. So I'm not saying that the loss to uh, Jacksonville for the Chargers is going to measure to that type of uh, impact. But man, where, where do you go if you're the Chargers after that loss? But then you think about it. It was like, okay, let's kind of focus just for a quick second. Let me go back and talk about Jacksonville. Because, yeah, you know what? The defense for the uh, Jaguars... They played well the entire game. Now, I know you're going to sit there and talk about, well, wait, wait a minute. How in the world can a team that had 27 points in the second quarter, uh, how, how can you say that the other team's defense played well? Well, let's just take about it. Just think about it. The defense gave up 320 yards total on 13 drives. They allowed the Chargers only 67 yards rushing on 23 attempts. I'll get into that with the Chargers a little bit later. But after being down 27 nothing, thanks to a whole lot of interceptions to put the Chargers in, or put the uh, Chargers in position to score a touchdown, Jacksonville's defense held the Chargers to 138 yards total, 20 rushing on six possessions and sacked Justin Herbert twice. Six possessions. You know what they were? Punt, end of the half, punt, field goal, missed field goal, punt. Sounds pretty good to me. Gave those guys, gave Jacksonville a chance to get back in the game and ultimately win it after giving up 27 in the second quarter or by the second quarter. And Trevor Lawrence, let's do this, man. Trevor Lawrence took a big step forwards. Forward when you're speaking about fulfilling his potential as a potential true franchise top-tier quarterback living up to all the hype when he came out of Clemson. He took a big step Regardless of what happens in Kansas City, unlike Dak Prescott and unlike some others, unlike maybe Josh Allen in terms of we're going to, unlike Daniel Jones in terms of how we're going to gauge the second playoff game of the, of the season, of this season for some of those guys, that Dak Prescott isn't out of the word, woods of criticism if he falters, that Daniel Jones, he still faces some criticism if he loses to the Philadelphia Eagles, just like uh, Josh Allen, if he has another game similar to what he had against Miami playing against the Cincinnati Bengals. Those guys are still on the watch list in terms of, uh, okay, let's kind of see what's happening. With Trevor Lawrence, it's going to be a situation where if he has a bad game and the Jaguars get blown out, they're going to look at this and saying, hey, man, this is a young squad, this is a young team, and this is a young quarterback, and we can still take some good from what he did the week before, even though in this game he's getting blown out and overmatched and outclassed by Patrick Mahomes. And that performance against the L.A. Chargers really gave him the enough room, enough space to have that kind of conversation, to have that kind of discussion, to have that kind of comment toward Trevor Lawrence because one of the leading stars responsible for bringing the team back from a 27-0 deficit in the first half and 30-14 to 14 in, the, in the second half, he was one of the leading stars for Jacksonville to be in that position where his legend could be planted and begin to grow potentially. You realize that Trevor Lawrence became the first player in modern NFL history to throw 
three picks in one quarter, right? He was the first to throw four in the playoff half since Brett Favre in 2001, right? First seven drives of the game, Lawrence was five for 18 with 35 yards passing and four interceptions, right? Oh, he's young, he's inexperienced, this is a learning situation, blah, blah, blah. He's not quite there yet. You can't expect a guy who's in his second year to make that type of uh, leap, to make that type of improvement. He's still getting over the Ur- the, the Urban Meyer uh, era and Doug Peterson. They're still trying to start that relationship and all these type of things. That's the narrative. If Trevor Lawrence would have continued to play like he was playing on the first seven drives of the series, of the, se- of the uh, game, right? Well, then check out the last five of the game. He went 23 of 29, 253 yards and four touchdowns. He threw for 211 yards and three touchdowns and had a passer rating of 144.5 in the second half. And the comeback for Jacksonville was made in a slow, methodical way. This wasn't a situation where the defense stepped up in terms of causing a turnover inside the red zone, which would give Jacksonville an easy touchdown. This wasn't a situation where there was a blown coverage and a long run or a long pass that put Jacksonville in position to either score a touchdown, kick a field goal, or make a big play to score a touchdown. No, from 27-0 down. If you take a look at the scoring drives for Jacksonville and you take a look and you see that when they were down 27 to nothing, that seven plays, 47 yards, the longest play with a 12-yard pass to Marvin Jones. When they were down 27-7, 14 plays, 89 yards, over seven minutes on the clock, the longest play being 24 yards to Evan Ingram. Five plays, 68 yards, two minutes and 14 seconds, the longest play being an 11-yard pass to Jones. Nine plays, 70 yards, 322 as far as time of possession. The longest plays were 17-yard passes to uh, Kirk and a 21-yard pass to Ingram. And then the uh, drive that won them the game with the field goal, 10 plays, 61 yards, 3 minutes and 9 seconds. Of course, the biggest play being Travis ATM's 16-yard run on fourth down with a minute 27 left to go. So this was a game where equity that was gained from Trevor Lawrence was immense. Because what does it show his teammates? What does it show his coaches? What does it show the organization? What does it show the fan base? What does it show the NFL? That regardless of the situation, Trevor Lawrence can always bring you back. No matter how poorly he might be playing in a game, Trevor Lawrence can turn it around and bring you back. And if your players believe that, if your teammates believe that, if your linemen believe that, if your wide receivers believe that, if your defense believes that, if your offense coordinator believes that, then man, you're thinking about a situation where if Trevor Lawrence threw two or three interceptions, bringing this team, you know, putting his team in advantage in a uh, disadvantage situation, okay, that's fine. No, we we we've seen this before to where Lawrence can bring himself out of the funk that he's in. We we don't need to change anything. We don't need to dial anything down. The players are looking at each other sideways. The players are still going to have belief. The players are still going to, uh, you know, be strong for Trevor Lawrence. That one performance in that one game awarded Trevor Lawrence that type of equity from his teammates and from anyone in the organization. So, man, good deal, man. This situation, man, no matter how poorly he plays, no matter how many turnovers he commits, no matter how down that we are in the game, 
Trevor Lawrence can still turn it around and win us a football game. So, I mean, more than anything, moving forward in his career, that's huge when it comes to Trevor Lawrence. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, for the San Diego, excuse me, doggone it, strike two. For the Los Angeles Chargers, how exactly did this happen? First team in NFL history to have a five-plus turnover margin and still lose the football game? How do you lose with a double-digit lead in the second half and running the ball only eight times in the third and fourth quarter? How do you have a big lead for the game and then throw the ball 43 times and only run it 23 times? How do you have a big lead on the road and you have no rushing yards and only six touchdowns for Austin Eckler in the second half? How do you not run the ball more when your second-best receiver, Mike Williams, is out with a fractured back because you, Brandon Staley, decided to play him in the last game of the season against Denver? How do the uh, L.A. Chargers have just rushing have, have just 19 rushing yards after building a 27-0 lead? How do you run the ball only seven times for 20 yards in the second half with the lead and with the team coming back? How does that happen? What does that mean? How do you have 13 yards? How do you have those 20 yards or those 20 yards that were uh, accumulated in the second half running the football? 13 of them were made by Justin Herbert. If you're the Los Angeles Chargers, how does that happen? What is going on? And what happens to the Chargers as an organization after a loss like this? I mean, this is a situation where I'm sorry. This was a fireable offense for Brandon Staley, and now that he's going to go ahead and fire the offensive coordinator? Come on, man. Throwing people under the bus? Put yourself right there. So, if this is a situation, it'll be, you got Justin Herbert, man. You got Justin Herbert. You need to go ahead, and I know the owner for the Los Angeles Chargers, one of the reasons why he left San Diego to go to the Chargers, because he just wanted more money, 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 or a better opportunity to make more money, 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 which is fine, which is prerogative. And not being Bobby Brown, that's his prerogative. He can do what he wants to do. But uh, it's a situation where it's kind of like, I'm, I don't have too much faith in the Spanos family when it comes to landing a big fish, a.k.a. Sean Payton, to really elevate the career of Trevor of um, uh, Justin Herbert. I mean, we saw what an offensive-minded coach in Doug Peterson did for Trevor Lawrence. Are we going to go that route as far as the head coach and get Sean Payton to a team that should be a lot better than it is right now with an ascending superstar and franchise quarterback and generational great in Justin Herbert? Are we going to go ahead and do what the organization should do and get um, and get uh, Justin Herbert? We'll see. We will see. All right, I'm out of here. I've spoken a lot, and I still have to watch Nikola Jokic put on the show. So I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast. Again, download, subscribe, do all those good things. And remember, as I said before, come on, man. Let's honor Dr. King the way we should. Speak to somebody. Talk to somebody. Get to know somebody. I'm not talking about breaking bread. I'm not talking about being best friends. I'm not talking about being hangout buddies. I'm not talking about running around chasing skirts with each other. I'm not running. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. But just to get to know somebody, have a conversation with somebody different from you in some way, shape, or form so you can learn, so you can grow, and they can do the same thing in terms of speaking to you, that they can get a better understanding, listening, learning, educating, understanding, shutting up, and let people speak, and let people tell them about themselves. 
and tell them something that you didn't know about that person, about that culture, about that race, about that gender, about that religion, about that uh, place on the earth. Even if it's something small, even if it's something minuscule, even if it's something that you'll probably never use again if in that possibility. Get better every single day. How? How do we grow? How do we get better? We listen, we think, and we learn, and we grow from listening and speaking and educating and respecting one another. Different races, faces, places, and genders. Do that for us, please. Please. I'm begging you because let me tell you something, man, and I'll end it like this. If you don't, you're going to make me really angry. And please, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Do, 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 the lonely man. I'm going out by saying music.